You're listening to Ageism is Never in Style, the podcast, sponsored by The Bias Cut, the first truly age-inclusive online style boutique. Hello, and welcome to Ageism is Never in Style, the podcast, with me, your host, Jacinth Bassett, founder of Ageism is Never in Style. Launching a podcast has been a bit of a long time coming for us here at Ageism is Never in Style. It's something we've been wanting to do for some time and we've received many requests for. After all, as an award-winning campaign and one of the world's leading movements against ageism and for age inclusivity, our mission at Ageism is Never in Style is always to educate, spark conversation and ignite change at every level. So launching a podcast is a natural next step. But as we always say at Ageism is Never in Style, we don't want to just talk the talk, we want to walk the walk, which of course isn't the easiest thing to establish on a podcast, which at its core is talking. So we wanted to make sure we could create a podcast that really explores ageism and age inclusivity in a way that can inspire you, our listeners, to take action and the world to take notice. So through the lens of ageism, each episode will focus on a different topic, offering unrivaled insight, expertise and thought-provoking discussion and commentary. I'll be joined by a special guest, a highly revered expert in their field, and together we'll explore how ageism manifests across their area and industry. We'll dig deeper, we'll be asking those uncomfortable questions, sparking debate and ultimately exploring and sharing with you how we can all collectively play a role in eradicating ageism and driving positive change. Because ending ageism and championing age inclusivity and positivity is the future. And this is the message we are here to amplify. And when we say ending ageism, we must be very clear what we mean. There is a misconception that ageism is only prejudice towards older people. But it's actually any prejudice or bias on the basis of age. So any person at any age can be a victim of it. In fact, it's the only ism that every single person can experience. And whether or not we're personally experiencing it today, we should all be allies. But because of our youth-based, youth-centric society, people do typically experience it more as they get older. And due to the intersectionality between ageism and sexism, which we call gendered ageism, ageing is particularly difficult for women. So these are particular points and areas we will be exploring on this podcast. So, where to start? Ageism exists throughout society. It seeps into almost every, if not all, crevice and walks of life. And what else does? The media. So that is how we're going to be kicking off this podcast. Yes, it's a biggie, but we are not ones to shy away from these topics. Media is everywhere. Wittingly or not, it is a huge part of our lives and one of the most dominant and influential forces in our society. From newspapers and magazines and books, to the internet and social media, to TV, film, radio, advertising, to this very podcast, we consume media constantly throughout our everyday lives. In fact, on average, each of us spends 13 hours and 35 minutes per day consuming media. That's approximately 85% of our waking day. So what media we consume, and more specifically the messages, information and narratives it disseminates, is highly instrumental in shaping our own thoughts, perceptions, attitudes, 
prejudices and biases. Which is why, of course, when it comes to ageism, it is fundamental that we look at the media. The media has the power to nurture and reinforce existing ageist stereotypes, but equally it can disrupt and drive positive change, presenting evidence and new narratives. Just take a look at Ageism is Never in Style's recent project with the charity Centre for Ageing Better, where we found that 55% of women over the age of 18 said the way women are portrayed in the media makes them feel bad about ageing. So in response, we created the first series of free editorial style stock images of women over 50 to improve authentic, real and positive representation of ageing in the media. And since its launch earlier this year in June 2023, these images have been downloaded over 55,000 times and continue to serve as a blueprint to inspire others. So we must assess the media's role in driving ageism and our relationship with it. And this is key here because this is not one-sided. There is a dual reciprocal relationship between the media and ourselves because the media affects and reflects our views. So there is a mutual role and responsibility here in disrupting ageism and changing the narrative. And who better to dig into this with than with identity commentator, educator, multi-platform broadcaster and agent of change, Karen Franklin, MBE. With a career spanning over four decades, Karen's career began in fashion. After her role as fashion editor and then co-editor of ID magazine for six years, Karen moved to television where she was a BBC broadcaster for 15 years and has authored and co-produced numerous fashion programmes and documentaries for the likes of BBC One, Channel 4, ITV and more. One of those shows was The Clothes Show, which I'm sure many of you will remember, which Karen presented for 12 years to audiences of up to 13 million in the UK and reached many more millions through the BBC World Service. But Karen's interests have always extended beyond straight fashion, with a particular interest in the politics of image, self-esteem and identity. Delving further into these issues, Karen has worked on projects involving refugees in battle zones, garment workers in free trade zone slums, with mental health experts and MPs and government ministers. And Karen has explored and taught on these issues further in education as an external assessor, course validator and lecturer in colleges like Central St Martins, London College of Fashion and the Royal College of Art. And most recently, Karen is a member of the newly formed organisation FACE, fashion academics creating equality, pursuing the accelerated recruitment and progression of black academics and student creatives, as well as the inclusion of black style and culture to course and module evaluation metrics. Moreover, as a disruptor and pioneer of inclusivity, positive body image and diverse selfhood, Karen actively has driven positive change through her writings, commentating work and projects. In 2009, she co-founded the award-winning All Walks Beyond the Catwalk with Deborah Bourne and Erin O'Connor to promote sustainable body and beauty ideals and emotionally considerate fashion practice. And in recent years, she has consulted with the Women's Equality Party and later with a Master of Sciences in Applied Psychology, specialising in selfhood, objectification, inclusivity and gender bias. She consulted with the Advertising Standards Authority in the establishment of new policy on tackling objectification of women in mass media imagery. And last year, Karen co-authored the audiobook Skewed, Decoding Media Bias, which tackles this complex subject head-on, 
So it really is a pleasure for Karen to be joining us today for this episode, Ageism and Media. Welcome. Uh, thank you very much. That was, it's quite interesting to have to sit through your, your <laughs> own um there was so much more i could list, list as well <laughs> you have had such an incredible career so far and it really has been i have to say for me personally a, a real inspiring career since even i started the bias cut and ageism is never in style in 2016 you've been somebody i've always looked up to and has just really inspired me throughout the entire journey so thank you for joining and i guess the first question which is just fundamentals what you do which is why is inclusivity representation and identity so important to you there isn't really a simple answer to that but i think we're all shaped by experience and and context and you know we're all used to going back to childhood and looking at where where did that kind of kick in and i think i was an unconventional human in a conventional family and so from the off, there were things that I would literally say, but why? Why do we have to have uh, what, what I thought, you know, I didn't have the vocabulary then, of course, but, you know, I was in a, um, a very loving but conservative patriarchal household. And I um, didn't understand these very gendered roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but partly because I thought well I don't want this role that women seem to have to do my mum had five children she was working very hard inside the house it seemed fairly unrewarding from what I could observe and I wanted what my dad had got but the conversation that I was experiencing um, gave me to think that I couldn't naturally just step over into his world just simple things like he'd say oh you don't need to know that when i would when i would ask about um things so um you know it's possibly that but also i think i was lucky in that i was i was creative and i'm told that comes from my my grandmother um uh, so i i kind of found ways of expressing myself as of saying i'm not like you guys I'm, you know, I'm not going to wear the same things as you. Mm. We used to get clothing packages because, uh, you know, there wasn't sort of cheap clothing. And I would um, customise it. It would come from older relatives and it would be quite conventional. But I would then cut it up and uh, sort of re-sew it differently. Um, the, the sewing machine was always out in our house. So I, I kind of was in challenge mode from day one. <laughs> and you just brought that through to your career. I mean, from, from ID magazine and then onwards towards things like the clothes show. I mean, I speaking to our stylist, Claire Ginsler, and she tells me that really her, her interest and passion for inclusivity stemmed with you and Jane Galpin, who she worked with both of you on the clothes show and that she said it was just talk to her so I think it's so powerful that you can have that impact of just questioning and challenging but did you did you ever face any resistance you know whether it was in certainly at the beginning of your career at ID magazine or with television I know you've talked about before some of the issues you've had with going grey what challenges did you face ever in terms of promoting these more inclusive messages that frankly weren't accepted 
I, I was really lucky to start at ID Magazine for six years working on sort of street style and photographing people in clubs. There was no such thing as digital social networking. So all we really had was what we were wearing at midnight in order to sort of communicate and yeah. talk to people and, and kind of telegraph a position and politics and sort of music and identity and so I took that for granted actually that that, that working environment that that um, sort of adventurous curious um, kind of left of field perspective was was the normal pathway um, but in fact it was a very underground sort of London centric it was an international magazine but it, it had a very niche audience mm. um, and and then later I would find myself going completely overground and um, sort of kind of find trying to find my place at the BBC presenting on a you know, very primetime mainstream program so yes there there were some challenges there were I would often feel that there were things I wanted to say and that would have to be they would have to be um, softened and dampened down and and made palatable for a, a, a wide audience and I, and I didn't see why that was the case I'd, I'd often say I just feel like you're taking my teeth out it's like I can't bite you know yeah. you're you're making sure that I'm not challenging not challenging not causing any potential offense or controversy yes. Yes, that's that's very true. On on other levels, I I did find you know some members in the team to be equally supportive, wanting to empower. Um, so so Jane was an early comrade in arms, as it uh, you know for yeah. want of a better word, really, where we'd go, yeah, but why can't we have this and why can't we do that? But um, I think inevitably with everyone, there is always going to be challenge. There's always going to be obstacles and it's about how you navigate round or through that obstacle. So in many ways, early uh, situations in which I felt that we were operating very much through a lens of, well, this is how we do things here. This is how we think about fashion. We're the BBC. Um, that I kind of had to find... Um, new ways of, of tackling things so you know one example was appearing um, you know pregnant on TV you, yeah. you just didn't see that in those days and that was in your early 30s is that right yes yeah yes it was so that's quite some time ago now that's 30 years ago um, there wasn't maternity wear so I obviously kind of was, was able to style myself in in such a way that meant I could still appear as me yeah. um, but um, I was mostly filmed head and shoulders then at that mm -hmm. point right. and so that you know it wasn't until I said but but why am I suddenly being you know we're, we're not seeing what I'm wearing what I'm doing um, that was one example and another one was um, th you know th uh, threatening to resign because I felt um, a, a casting had happened with without me sort of being involved and suddenly we we had a, a model who was a featured model camera going sort of up and down maybe even an interview and and I felt that she was 
desperately thin, possibly ill, and that we shouldn't be promoting this. Mm. And the I refused to do the interview, and um, so it was done by another presenter, and I said, if it's used, I'm resigning. Huh. And it wasn't personal against no. that young woman, but I also knew that I had so many young women tuning in, and we would be endorsing um, her the optics of her body. You know, there's been a lifetime of internalization of um, sort of body and beauty ideals as promoted by our media, yeah. which also contains male gaze. Mm -hmm. um, although, you know, I would say fashion had its own weird gaze, deep fashion gaze, the sort of edgy alien yes. body. Um, you know that that's a whole different broken doll kind of yeah look yes yeah. conversation um, and so you know we've often been exposed to these ideals for decades and it, it doesn't surprise me at all that older women find it hard to break free of those yeah, exactly and actually some people you know I, we often have people say to us you know why do I feel so low why do I feel so invisible and irrelevant as I get older and I say why you see, I mean, talking about earlier in the intro about the amount of media we consume every day, if these messages yeah. are constantly telling us subconsciously that this is the this is the way you need to look, and in terms of age, youth is preferable. No, I mean, you've got to be pretty thick-skinned to be able to resist that. I think what's very interesting is I'd say in the last five, ten years, age has finally become a bit more topical. It's a bit more included in the diversity and inclusion conversation. Why do you think it has taken so long? Because you know, you're talking about body image and that's been a, a topic, particularly in beauty and, and fashion media for, for decades now. Why do you think age has been so late to the table? I think that's there's, there's lots of reasons uh, for that. I think that working women now have gone through changes themselves and stayed in the workplace. You know, mine is amongst the first generation to have felt entitled to further education and maybe to have taken it up um, and to have then expected to work through pregnancies, um, maternities, to uh, advance you know to deliver commitment to work uh, as rather than it fits around the edges of childcare, mm. and so we've gotten to a stage where we're recognizing the appearance bias inherent in the workplace because of aesthetic hiring and presentation of women the restrictive clothing the heels the makeup uh, the expected to remain and maintain a youthful presence uh, which uh, can include hair dyeing um, so that women have kind of looked around and gone well hold on a minute you know I've got all this experience and I'm now seeing that I'm of less value and, and studies certainly back this up I even did a piece on Newsnight with Kirsty Walk, who invited me to talk about choosing to go grey. And she, um, she interviewed me with a grey wig on and kind of noted 
that had she gone grey as you know we, we sort of made up a, a thing there and then which we called newscaster bias <laughs> because um, you know authority and wisdom um, and rank is can be shown through grey hair but only men are allowed to inherit mm. that women must always show that they haven't given up pursuing well, there was the um, the Canadian brought, um, presenter mm-hmm. last summer who was fired Navy because she went grey. Lisa Laflamme. Yes, that's right. Yeah, and the yes. Dove launched the Keep the Grey campaign off the back of it, didn't they? Quite right, and all you know, just yeah. see, but seeing a, a marketing opportunity. So, in the first instance, I think we've we've sort of gotten to uh, an age of wisdom and just gone. Well, we're not putting up with this shit. Can I say that? Or will yes. you have to edit that out? No, no, that's fine. That's fine with me. <laughs> um, I think also we now have social networking. Mm-hmm. So we, we have that kind of vocal platform. And that means that we can feed back to brands our opinions. Right. And we are a growing demographic. So there is a power in just using our voice. I'd also like to think that All Walks Beyond the Catwalk, um, which you kindly mentioned in the beginning, you know, we began that in 2009. And one of our remits, you know, to extend um, the body and beauty ideals that we saw in our media was to bring in older women, but not to bring them in having been post-produced to have the shape of their body changed, the the texture of their skin changed, Mm. um, but to bring them in as they are. Because younger women need to see that beauty ages beautifully and that humans age naturally. And we also um, need to be given realistic images of ourselves right the way through life you know life-size models as opposed to the 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 catwalk mannequin or clothes hanger um and uh, again you know for me just as important is we can't just be seeing white women get older yeah absolutely we need to be seeing um you know all races and ethnicities and we need to see that beauty and how it it changes so i think there are there are other debates as well as aging that are moving forward our understanding of human experience and that's one of the things that i i think is is good for us all to know that when we are challenging perhaps a niche area because it's something that we have more knowledge about we're not just making it better for our community we're making mm. it better for everyone um, one example I, I give sometimes when I'm talking is having challenged the Advertising Standards Authority on the, um, the sort of presentation of women. Once they did their overhaul and it was it was relaunched with um, a more, um, uh, let's have a think, higher standards for want of a better word, but you know, recognizing that they couldn't portray gender stereotypes the first people to benefit were men because right. the first ad that was removed as a, as a result of, of people saying this is a male stereotype was the um, stupid dads uh, kind of ad that had two guys putting their babies on a revolving food 
right. um, kind of conveyor thing in a, yeah. in a restaurant. Yeah, the father doesn't have a clue what to do with their child, yeah. <laughs> They're clueless about parenting, apparently clueless about cleaning, house yep. cleaning. They don't know how to talk. They've got their head stuck in a newspaper. Those are all advertising stereotypes that we we don't want to see any more of, but it came because women were being vocal about uh, female stereotypes. It's so interesting because the, so we actually, we reposted a reel the other day on our Instagram, which has gone viral. It's had, I think, about 2 million views now. Oh. And it's created by Caroline in the city, and she's a photographer. And what she did was she took pictures of uh, male celebrities that are roughly around, around 50. And she said, what would it look like if we photoshopped them the way we showed, photoshopped women or celebrities around 50? And I think in particular, she was referring, for example, to the recent Vogue cover, you know, with the supermodels, which were mm. very heavily photoshopped. And what was, what's been particularly interesting is the, the debate and, frankly, arguments that it sparked in the comments. And it's, it's, in a way, it wasn't meant to be pitting women against men. It wasn't meant to be saying, men, this is, better, this is your fault. It was mm. about looking at gendered ageism and the way the media and we engage with it. But interestingly, a lot of the comments have turned into stop blaming men for your problems and um, or mm. or women having to go back at men and saying we need to give you these problems. It, it just it just went down mm. this rather vitriolic route. But I thought it was quite interesting how it did raise these questions and how it's one of the things that kept coming up is, well, it's women's fault for reading these magazines in the first place. It's women's fault for um, consuming these magazines. And then there was the whole conversation about what isn't women, don't women leave the magazines? So it's them who want the photoshopping, which of course is a, another, it, it's such a complex um, mm. conversation. But there is that dual relationship, right? Is it, the, is it the magazines and the media that's wanting to constantly airbrush women, particularly as they get older? Or is it we, do we want to see that? I'm, I'm going to sort of broaden it because it is a complex question and sort of take it to a, a bit wider um, and just sort of bounce off the first point that you yeah. introduced was there suddenly being a binary conversation. Yeah. It's, it's them against us or vice versa. And I think what the, what the human brain does when it, it, because it's looking for simplicity is it, it can't hold a, a spectrum of ideas and opinion. Right. It wants a yes, no, right or wrong, left, white, boy, girl. Mm -hmm. It doesn't want spectrum. And so what often happens is that people automatically think, well, if you're against this and I don't seem to have a problem with it or I'm not represented here, then you must be um, maybe you're against me right. because I'm not against it. Sure. I haven't even thought about it. I think um, we're, we're in a space where if we could come together as humans in the centre and say all of us have internalised bias, all of us have internalised kind of harmful stereo stereotypes that we, we play on, we play out um, our understanding of what it is to be human using those um, um, and actually as you know maybe we'll we'll talk about later 
we've personally got to do some work on ourselves but starting a conversation saying yeah this is this is interesting isn't it what would it look like if we if this happened to men i'm i'm all for because um that's male privilege yeah. that men get to see themselves age naturally and that women learn from about 24 or 25 that they better start buying expensive skin creams. Oh yeah, I started you know? getting the ads at about 24. Suddenly it was yeah. all the anti-aging ads started popping up on my feeds and that you're told, aren't you, that, that you start getting almost paranoid with it. Yeah, that you're not trying hard enough to look after your skin. And, and one of the things that um, I'm sure ma- many women my age would agree with is that um, the older you get, well, okay, I say this from a personal perspective, the more deaf I am to those yes. kinds of triggers. Yeah. Because um, I know in a way that the all of the brands have to move in on young women yeah. um, who are, um, to a certain extent, because of their beauty, very focused on it. Whereas as you get older, your body changes, you prioritize health. Yes. When you're young, you're indestructible. So you're focusing on the veneer. Um, I, I personally have found aging extremely liberating and sort of the best adventure to be on. But I can say that from the privilege of health. Yeah, yes. I think that that's what for me is so important as well then about communicating those messages to younger women Mm. and as you said earlier that's why it's not just about you and your peers being empowered by these these changing of narratives and these new messages it's actually so influential and impactful to to other people and younger women and I think that you know I, I say this often is that younger women are wanting to be inspired you know we're living in a pretty bleak society mm. right mm. and we you know we want to be looking up we want to be seeing futures that we can look forward to and we can be inspired be inspired to become these women and you know and it's exactly what you say about internalized bias i always say to people you know i have it you know i work in this space i'm still i still have internalized ages biases and you know, I, I I'll admit, you know, when I as I did, I started when somebody said to me when I was about twenty five, are you going to get Botox soon? Because, um, because my friends are, you know, you start going, oh goodness, should I? And it's hard not to absorb these messages. And then you say you've got the media telling you you've got all these anti aging creams, mm-hmm. and we all know about them using, you know, a twenty five year old model to promote an anti aging cream. It starts making you feel like, oh, maybe I need to take these, you know, care about this more. One thing I wanted to also ask you about with sort of these messages and these images is, and this is an interesting one because this was an illustration rather than a Photoshop, which is the New Yorker cover. So the New Yorker cover a couple of, I think it was a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago now, they um, they did a cover that was um, accused of being both ageist and ableist, and it depicted top US politicians using walkers. It had um, Biden, Trump, Nancy Pelosi and I think the, the the purpose of the they were saying was I mean it's obviously it's a caricature um star image and it was trying to say you know it's time to let younger people step into politics and obviously that's a bigger that's another conversation but what was interesting is how the backlash happened 
what I think we have uh, understood in the past or we've been acculturated to internalize is that sort of capitalism and specifically Western ideals align age with workplace uh, profitability. Mm -hmm. And so we are relevant as long as we are seen to be serving the workplace. So for women, those pressures kick in a lot earlier. But as a culture, also, we prioritise the optics of uh, masculinity, too. And so we have expectations that uh, certainly our leaders will be uh, strong and fit. Um, and also that goes back to sort of evolutionary uh, understanding. And um, I, I feel we have, because we have made age look unattractive in our media it takes very little for people to feel that there there is a, a sort of pointed comment to be made that can only be negative about getting old um i i certainly do uh, uh, admire the vitality of uh, our elders who are in the public eye jetting about all over the place politics aside um, and I seem to have this this sort of uh, fountain of, of energy this um, you know it bubbling up inside them you know many of us uh, after after a long day you know recognize like no I just need to sit down now I I do think that obviously coming back to our demographic the the, the baby boomer kind of era of which I, I think I might just be in, you know, it, it was a massive sort of a post-war sort of amplification of birth rate, mm -hmm. which means now that there's there are many uh, and many survivors in this age group. My grandparents died in their 60s and early 70s, but it's just not unusual for people to go through into their 80s now. Yeah. So it's a big group. And uh, that counts for a lot, too. If we bring it back to capitalism, they have massive spending power right. and they know it. So it that can also be leveraged as a way of saying we're not going to put up with this. We're not going to be, you know, for, for instance, um, not saying that this would happen, but that sort of active power of one. All right. Well, I'm not happy with that. So I'm cancelling my subscription of the New Yorker unless they address this in the next issue with um, a, a, a kind of uh, an investigative statement of their motives or something. Um, and, and, I, and I do believe there is that option, but we are just talking about it more because there are so many more people now moving um you know into their 50s and beyond do you think it was do you think covers like that are actually good because at least they get the conversation flowing if the conversation is productive and people don't sort of retreat to the sort of binary conversations yeah. you know uh th those kind of situations where are you saying getting old is bad are you mm -hmm. saying you know that I, I i think they all of these conversations require a more nuanced approach. And don't forget, the bottom line of media 
is to trigger the intention to engage. And they do that through quick emotional response. Right. And it's so the worse, I'd say, with, with social yeah. media and, and the internet, hasn't it? Yeah. And so they may do it full, knowingly full well that one um, tabloid style image or banner headline yeah. gets people really worked up. Well, for them, that's a result. <laughs> Well, exactly. And that's, yeah, exactly. It gets the clicks, it gets the engagement, it gets the advertising, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you think it's a sign that we are starting, though, to be less? Because I would would argue an image like that, even 10 years ago, probably wouldn't have had the same backlash. Do you think it shows that we are becoming less permissible of the media being ageist or perceived to be being ageist, that, that we are pushing back? A short answer is is yes. I think we probably feel entitled to be vocal. We have the platforms to do it in a way that we hadn't done previously. And we, I say we, but as humans, um, we feel able to comment about things that we might not have done previously because technology has, has allowed that. But as you say, I think we feel more comfortable commenting on others and ourselves don't we I think this is where then our own relationship with the media comes in because Mm. we're we're very ready and quick to point fingers and judge and accuse others we're we're less reflective on ourselves you know we we have these messages embedded within us I mean that's with ageism it's shown that it stereotypes we absorb them from the age of three and Mm. there was a recent project that's been in New York which is they're going to start teaching about Disney villains and um and how to stop um have those messages and i know you've talked about disney as well uh, and they the narratives they feed us how can we be more understanding of the role that we mm. play in feeding the media and encouraging the media to perpetuate these biases and prejudices mm. yeah that's a good question and, and again i don't think it's a simple answer i think we need to understand first of all what our own brain is doing and so bias makes us ignore our own values because we want to fit in and it sort of renders us compliant to either an authoritative voice um, or social systems that are presented in our media so when we internalize this we're also perpetuating it and and it is about calling our selves out because it happens in our unconscious world quite frequently we're not aware of everything that is below the surface influencing our judgments so we're also attracted to things in the media that might show something that is um dramatic or um I I bet the Daily Mail gets its most kind of clicks on things that's and you see them all over the internet when you're searching for things look how these celebrities have aged then and now I'm curious of those and I'm I'm saying to myself this is interesting Karen isn't it that you want to follow this through I am curious I uh, I think also there is natural curiosity some people do are lucky enough to have good health or good genes. Yep. They do age better than others. And who, I'm curious as to who did. Um, 
I'm, I'm inevitably curious as to how many women felt they had to pump right. a load of chemicals into their face and who didn't do that, who resisted. Um, and so I think when if we decide we're going to take control of our unconscious world, there's, there's a sort of there are a certain things we can do. But we if we're going to have a new vision for ourselves we also need new lenses because we are in a system that incorporates male gaze very much the presentation of women in service to male gaze the am i sexy enough am i shaggable enough and that's just in women's wear advertising to women you know i'm i'm looking sometimes at ads thinking why is she looking at me like she's asking me to come to bed <laughs> shag her yeah. get on top of her you know Oh, yes, of course, she's looking at the male photographer who thinks it's all about him. Mm. Um, and the female audience is discounted by the male art directors who also think it's all about their gaze. So these are perspectives that have shaped us. Straight gaze, white gaze, all of these things have <laughs> shaped how we've begun to see our world. And so we actually then have to decide that we're going to become more conscious of our thinking and unpick it, which can feel that, that that's, it can feel a bit like hard work actually, because the brain just wants to make really quick decisions. Mm. But it comes down to holding ourselves accountable for the role that we play, for you know the way that we perpetuate things, maybe just in our kind of personal. Um, a space where we might complain about wrinkles to a friend why do that yeah. <laughs> you know we might complain about body shape or type we might look discontentedly at ourselves in the mirror in front of our daughters yes. I vowed as uh, soon as I became a mother that I would never ever pass any um, body image negativity onto my daughters and that they would see me engage with my body as an amazing tool not as a sort of superficial veneer and you know that was that was really one of my um, early fears uh, that it would be out of my control to prevent them developing an eating disorder um, and so, so you know we can be really aware of the things that we do amongst ourselves and to ourselves our internal thoughts oh I'd you know I'd be much happier if I dropped you know whatever the desired weight is um, and that's where I think you know my my lifelong relationship with clothes my love of clothes and styling comes in because you know, these are tools. They can be comfort blankets, they can be armour, they can be power dressing. So we see more articles now. You know, we once upon a time had all those articles which were what not to wear and, you know, the rules, mm. the classic over 50, stop wearing X, Y, Z. And we're now seeing, I'd, I'd say we're seeing better articles out there, um, more more journalists starting to, and fashion journalists in particular, perhaps engaging with age, perhaps because they themselves are getting older. But there's still a narrative, even though the narrative is becoming more of a positive one, you know, saying one way to age versus another way to age, that's still, it's ageist in itself. You need to be encouraging choice. So how can we work with the media to encourage a more open narrative and to stop them from potentially dictating this new way to age? 
Um, I think, again, there's a lot to unpick in, in what you've said. You know, media are very invested in the clicks, yeah. the lists, the 10 top tips. Um, and media also create a certain team of writers who will aid that publication to do just that. The, uh, I think where the perhaps the, the more kind of complex, nuanced conversations happen are in places like this. So that you do have a niche subject, you explore it and people know what they're, what, you know, what they're signing up for. Do you think it's important that comes from women of that age, so that their peers, or do you think we should encourage all ages to be part of this conversation? Because one of the things that comes up a lot in advertising debates is, you know, the average age of most advertising firms are early 30s. The majority of those writing fashion articles are in their 20s. And there's this attitude that those writing or speaking or creating advertising should be the age of those who they are trying to pitch to. Do you agree with that? Or do you think we should be encouraging more of just an intergenerational approach? Uh, I agree with any creative team needs to be diverse, yeah. but not just in age. Yes. Um, and I agree that any kind of leadership space uh, needs to, to also to mirror that. And we know it doesn't. Mm. But I, I do think that the, the research and the, you know, if we're talking about advertising, the polling of opinions to the core audience has to take place in order for them to come back with a targeted approach. I I think anyone who knows about clothes and who is an empathic human being and has an eye on where they're going and maybe is thinking about their mums or their aunties if they're young, um, can write for um, you know this is a this is a great garment because or this is a great look because because they understand how to ex un unpack the elements of that garment uh, and why it's likely to be flattering or unflattering. So I don't think that only a certain age can write about things pertaining to that age by any means. You know, I went to a conference basically marketing for specifically over fifties. And one of the discussions that came up, it's not possible to effectively advertise or market to somebody in their 50s if you are younger. And I don't know if I would agree with that. I think, as you say, it's about empathy. If you have the empathy and the understanding, and obviously I myself in my 30s. And the research. And the research, exactly. <laughs> I'm somebody in my 30s. And I sometimes get this where some people might say, you're too young to talk about ageism. You're too young to understand this topic. It's not for you, this debate, this whole mess around ageism, in advertising but and generally has been assumed by those in midlife or 50s 60s and they say this is for us and i do understand that because i think for them some people are feeling like they've been alienated it's finally their time to have their voice be heard but i don't think personally it's a isn't it's the message we should be promoting i think we should be promoting a much more diverse enriched intergenerational approach rather than saying you can mm. only speak to this audience if you are that audience effectively yeah, agreed. I mean, I think, you know, a simple example would be the renowned psychologist Susie Orbach, who was very involved in the development of the Dove campaigns and conversations around, you know, uh, life size bodies. Um, she instigated age uh, conversations, but she also instigated body difference and 
skin youthful conversation well skin we've all got skin um but it wasn't about wrinkles you know it was just about skin texture um and so she had the competence the knowledge the empathy the experience and so that was a successful campaign and i think you need all those elements and and so i think you know to your point you are interested in this you have great empathy for this subject you it you're curious and it excites you um your journey is ahead of you you're researching it now and you're bringing in people to comment on it and and i think part of the important um and exciting work that you're doing here is you're offering up a platform for us to enhance our vocabulary to improve our vocabulary to talk about things that we've got feelings for but we don't quite know how to describe why we feel those feelings yeah thank you so yeah. you wrote last year skewed with or published rather last year skewed with professor kion west and it, it really delves into media bias what what inspired you to write this book I wanted to take my whole 42 years in fashion and turns out I sort of went further back into my childhood, a bit, little bit like I sort of described how, how come I wanted to challenge things. And I wanted to look at it through the lens of bias. I wanted to look at a life in the media through bias. Um, but I also wanted to look at my own biases and so did Keon. We, we wanted to bring study and uh, psychology findings to this subject which a lot of people still feel very uncomfortable about that somehow if i'm biased i've been found guilty of something bad the brain is naturally inclined inclined towards bias so we we thought what better way than for us to actually reveal our own so i talked about my racism as a white person brought up in a white centric world Um, and um, also talked about the learning I had with my first daughter's father, who did have dual heritage and was mixed race and sort of took me to town fairly early on on some of the things I said, you know, like, oh, I don't see colour, we're all the same. The blind, the blindness. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So I wanted to sort of expose that. We, we, We wanted to kind of say, look, we're just like you. Some things we know we do, some things we don't know we do, some things we wish we didn't do. God, if only I hadn't have said that to the room, you know. But actually, we just have to find a way to keep on learning and to challenge the room and slowly it shifts rather than people getting very worked up and upset because perhaps something they've said has hit a wrong note and but now what are you accusing me of being a terrible person so so we did it for that but also i thought i've got some great stories to tell about all of the ridiculous behavior in fashion those biases that i've encountered and and certainly some around age and ageism but i've got some lovely stories to tell as well about the power of clothes and the power of one and taking challenge forward and and fashion being an amazing platform to do that with so that's why we wrote it and have you how's the response been have you found people have really been you know engaged and inspired or or has there been people who have struggled with it so on the most for the most part we've had a very good reception and obviously it's very applicable to uh, those studying psychology to those in the media um, in advertising in fashion and for those studying it 
which has has been lovely because when you're writing something and you kind of hold up and sat at your computer I'm a slow writer so for eight hours a day for a very long time and you think is this just a little bit shit or is it really bad yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know you've got no idea and so until readers actually say this was really useful yeah. you know I'd like to read a lot more and you know I'm going to tell everyone to read it um, and so books of vanity projects you don't really write them so that you can have an amazing bestseller and you know it's, it's just something that we both wanted to do and and Keon's gone on straight off the back of that I said I'm never doing that again it's my fifth book and I think I might sort of leave it at that I did find it harder than ever but he's gone straight off to write the science of racism right. which I think is going to wow. be a really powerful book but you know in essence we just wanted to add to the vocabulary of talking about being human and trying to understand other humans and actually that's something that we can all put like forever loads of effort into as a conversation and progress it rather than withdrawing defensively and creating conflict which as we know from the current climate, we, we just don't want that. You really do look at your internalised biases, but did it did it make you, did you struggle at times to even come to terms with some of them? Oh yeah, there were things that I was really uncomfortable yeah. about saying. And I'm not someone who talks that personally about myself. I'm, you know, my Instagram feed is, is about often about things I've learned yeah. and information I want to pass on, but I, you'll rarely see me with my hair in rollers having a cup of tea, <laughs> you know. And I know some people do yeah. that quite happily, but that's not me. So I struggled with: Do I want to really um, just out myself? Okay, yes, I do. Oh, all right, then go on, I will. But as even though you've done it, you think should I have done that? Well, like you know, so. There was that, but but also I've written books before. I wrote a novel that just literally flew off the end of the pen and did really, really well, and I really enjoyed it. This is quite some time ago. It was a joyous experience from start to finish. This one, it was just as if I did, there was a, you know, I needed to get an electrician in because the, the, the wire between my head and my hand wasn't connected. Right. And so I'd, I'd think it, but... Could I write it? You know, it sort of seemed to take three times as long. So we could call it one long extended period of writer's block in which I eventually squeezed it out. <laughs> well, you got it out there. And I think that's what, that's, you know, I think that's the, having, yeah. having listened to it myself, the audio book, it is a really in, engaging and very thought provoking. And I would definitely recommend it to our listeners as well. Thank you very much. So then <laughs> face. I'd love to ask you mm. about 2020. 20. Yes, you became yeah. a member of FACE, which is Fashion Academics Creating Equality. Why did you decide to join? Yeah. Um, I, I was invited to be part of a conversation before FACE was formed about what, um, you know, as a, I'm visiting professor of diverse selfhood at Kingston. Yeah. And so as an academic, what did I want to contribute to this conversation? And as we were talking things through, I was learning a huge amount um, because from a white privilege perspective, there are many things that we don't see and it doesn't directly impact us. And so although we can think, oh, that racism out there, it's terrible. Um, we can then just uh, let it go. 
we're not we're not feeling this pressure all the time so um, as everyone was talking and many of them were industry friends and colleagues um, I was the magazine editor in me and the campaigner editor in the, the campaigner in me because of starting all walks beyond the catwalk from the ground and moving through into parliament over a period of six years I could start to see well we need this and we need this and we need this so I um, there wasn't really a question of why would I join I could just feel like right let's get ourselves some funding let's get a website up and running let's get a mission statement up there and so it helped to be someone in the media right. and a journalist as as well um, and so it's it's been a very reciprocal thing. I've made my contributions, as everyone in the team has, and I've learnt a, a huge amount. Do you feel that we need more of these networks, these associations, in other areas of diversity, particularly age? I think you've got to know what it is, what's your target, what's your mission, why are you doing it? Of course, in any, any community... Um, there are there are things to be targeted so yeah I think grassroots uh, organizations where you are putting new thoughts and vocabulary out there and helping other people to go okay I get it I get why you're doing that yeah that actually I can see how that impacts in my own you know area or my own institution uh, for sure but not to be undertaken by the faint-hearted yes. you have to have you know it takes hours and hours to build campaigns and to build entities um, I, I did come out of all walks beyond the catwalk after six years because I, I simply just made myself ill because as something expands you take on so much you'll know yeah. that from building well your yeah own. I mean we're not an overnight we're seven years and uh, and I and you know we say to people you know this was not an overnight success this is this <laughs> yes. took time getting to to get way from where we are now so do you feel this is a big question of course but do you feel we <laughs> Is this the this big is one? This the big one, right. So do you feel we are on a path to lasting change and impactful change around ending ageism? Do you think the media and fashion are actually listening? So I, I'm tempted to say that when I was a young woman and I was introduced to feminism, I thought we were on a path to equality. And then a little bit later on, we start. I started to see in the 80s men wearing makeup very early on, you know, the big hair, the in incredible eye makeup and ordinary guys wearing it. And I thought we were on the path to gender equality. Mm. You know, and I started to see various things. Um, I made the mistake as a teenager of seeing Margaret Thatcher, yeah. a gender revolutionary, whatever we yeah. think of her appalling politics, still take the, the seat. I thought we were. Here you we know, go. ready for gender yeah. equality. So I'll just say I'm old enough. There's nothing um, better than I'm old enough to think that sort of going, oh, yes, categorically um, is, is not the answer. What I do think, though, uh, that helps this shift is that there's money involved. Right. And this is a society that is linked to the engagement with with money it is dependent on getting things right so that money changes hands one way or another so we we have that in our favor if we are not mindless consumers but uh, active citizen participants and we vote 
with our purse. And that's certainly one way of, of changing things and uh, of, of sort of demanding products that are not yet invented, you know, or, or, or sort of not yet in the marketplace. I completely agree. I don't think we can emphasise enough the power of the consumer. And I think we can't emphasise enough the, the fact that, you know, we have to be real here. We can criticise or we can critique as much as we want, but if we're still actively essentially contributing to their bottom line it's going to make why why would they need to change why do they need to change and i think that's where as a as a community and as a society we can recognize that together we can actually really make a difference because that's when they start taking notice is if their their bottom line changes right correct what does i mean this is again a very big question but what does ending ageism and a true age inclusivity look like to you on a really simple um, sort of answer right back to you is, you know, diverse identities included within the thinking, the teamwork and the leadership so that at every stage there is consultation and lived experience um, put into the end product. Absolutely. It's, it's about being embedded in, we always say embedded in the DNA of, of, yes. the, of what you're doing. Yeah. And finally, I mean, you call yourself an agent for change. How can mm -hmm. our listeners be an agent for change? Well, let's bring it back to the power of one again, um, which is, uh, you know, if you thought, oh, my God, there's massive stuff out there. How am I going to change this? It's about what you can do to shift your own behavior, your own conversation and the people that you interact with, not necessarily letting something go by without going saying it's interesting that you think that could we talk, talk more about it um i think we can all do that within our own space and of course you know pick your moments yeah. <laughs> pick pick your people there are some people where they're just not it's worth not the energy go. just don't go there <laughs> there are some situations where you know to 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 take that at on in that way just simply might not be possible financially or otherwise but I think for us to go somebody else had better sort this out you know and I'm just going to complain about it we're never going to get anywhere I couldn't agree more well thank you so much Karen it's been an absolute pleasure thank you it's been a pleasure to chat to you Jacinth and thank you for listening to this very first episode of ageism is never in style the podcast in the next episode I'll be joined by renowned actress Judy Graham as we tackle another big topic, ageism and acting. Yes, we're going to be talking Hollywood, how age is so often the silent killer of acting careers, particularly for women, and how we can address this. So please do subscribe so you don't miss it. And until then, I hope you enjoyed this episode and have been inspired. Remember and have faith in the power of one, because it adds up. And together we can really make a difference, both in terms of demanding a change in narrative by the media around ageing and with regards to our own relationship with it. It may take time and it will require effort. But as they say, all the best things do and ending ageism is absolutely worth it.